man with guns drawn. Okay. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to the manual. Hi, thanks for having me again. What is up? None much. It's hot day in Virginia. It is 95 degrees, I believe. I'm going to be getting a workout in about an hour and a half. I like to heat the workout, but as you know, it is hot. It you is see, hot, I don't hot. mind. I don't mind the temperature right now. I, I usually do my my morning walk, and I walk far, but I try to beat the sun because I don't mind the temperature, but I I can't have the heat like the the sun just beaming down on me like that. This is this is this is brutal, and it's not <laughs> even like it's not even like summer summer right now. It's just crazy. Wow. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot to unpack over the last couple. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about. Um, whatever topic you want to talk about today okay. um, so we're going to try to keep it to just about an hour so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll make five o'clock our our, um, our our target goal okay um, so we keep people engaged and we can kind of get to the meat of what we want to talk about so the floor is yours all right i'm with it okay well hi everyone everyone who's listening um i'm not sure if uh everyone listening now acquainted with me by now. I am Naya. My name's Naya. I'm Cleve's daughter. And um, I'm an army veteran, obviously black female. So a lot of my standpoints and viewpoints are going to be coming from my experiences as such. And um, what's weighing on my conscience is the mood of the nation and the narratives that are being pushed and and what it means, what it means to agree with certain narratives right now. We used to, well, I, I don't say we, I used to believe that there was a such thing as being really good friends with people who don't necessarily share, <clears throat> excuse me, the same values and political views as you. And I, I think to some degree that still is, you know, that still is pretty true. But then I think about the time during World War II where it was highly unlikely that a partisan and a Nazi enthusiast would be friends. See, what I need people to understand, at least people who know me personally or in, in my life, and especially people who are vocal and very opinionated, what I need you to understand before you address me and people like me with your opinions about everything that's going on right now, um, <clears throat> I need you to understand that for, especially if you're not black. For once, right now, and this is not to be taken personally because I don't say this to personally attack, but right now, this is not about you. It's not about, and when I say this, I mean this, um, what I guess a lot of people are, are wanting to call it, this revolution, this, this movement for change. It's not about you, not in a negative aspect, not in a positive aspect. It's just simply not about you. Granted, <clears throat> this is a, a, a fight, the racial justices, it's a fight for, for mankind, but because it could be anyone persecuted. Like I said, back in back in the, the 40s, it was the Jews. It could be anyone. So that when it comes to racial justices, racial injustices, that's not just the is not just the fight of whoever it's persecuting at that at that point in time. It's a, it's a human it's a fight for humanity. But <coughs> excuse me. But at the same time, when it comes to rebuilding, what people need to remember is that the black community is over 400 years behind in generational wealth. 
400 years behind in economic stability as, as a community. Don't say, oh, if you're in America, like no, it's, it's, it's different. The Jews have their community. White people have their own community in a sense. Polish people have their community. Muslims have their community. Everyone has a community in the black community right now. Out of all those communities, communities in America is failing. And it's not just, and this is not even like coming from a place of victimization. It's not just our fault. We have to understand that the reason as to why ghettos and such exist, projects exist, this is a systemic issue. Where we are economically in this country as, as a community is a systemic, it's, it's, it was, it's supposed to be this way. In the eyes of white supremacy, where we are right now, this is exactly what slavery, what Jim Crow, what, what the 13th Amendment, this is what all, this is what was supposed to happen in the eyes of white supremacy. How, how people of color are living in this country today. And it can't be ignored any longer. But at the same time, when it comes to your solidarity, understand that being pro-Black is not being anti-everything else. It's not being anti-white. When, when you hear Black people say in the height of all of this, oh, I'm only going to shop Black. I'm only going to in invest, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm only going to, um, what is it called? Um, open up a Black bank, uh, a bank account at a Black bank. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Just support black entrepreneurship, black dream, black black life. Period. Black prosperity. Black family. For some reason, that drives people insane. It drives people insane. When Muslims say that they only eat halal and eat at halal places and they only marry Muslims, all is well. All is well. I don't feel any type of way about it. Most people don't. I think that we are even biologically engineered to reproduce with what we see in ourselves. <laughs> I think Muhammad Ali touched on that as to why he would only marry black. It's not an attack or why he would only shot black. It's not an attack. We as human beings are engineered to, to self-preserve, to take care of our own before we invest in everyone else. And right now, the black community, which is, it's, it's sad. There's no other word for it. It's sad. The black community is the number one consumer in this country. Yet our businesses do the worst. Tell me how that works. How are we the number one consumer in this country, yet our businesses do the worst? We, we don't own as, as much land. We don't own as much houses. We don't, we don't, we're just nowhere near everyone else. So if you are troubled, if, if it troubles you, whoever's listening to this and whoever doesn't understand the importance of Black people investing only into Black things right now, Black businesses, Black healthcare, Black whatever. I even had my friend, my, my ex-friend, Stanley from the Army, he, he called me a segregationist and a racist because I told him that I was moving all of my funds into a Black bank called One United. And that I was only going to um, to to shop when it comes to like my skincare, my hair care. Let me find a clothing brand that's strictly black owned that I actually like. I will be shopping strictly from them. And it's not because I don't like these other brands. It's not because I uh, I, I don't like these other brands because they're ran by white people. It's just that I want to see people who look like me get to those same positions. I spent my entire adult, adult life investing in these people who aren't even out here protesting with us. Yeah. 
And you're calling me a racist because I believe in self-preservation before I believe. They, there's a saying for it. You can't help anyone else before you help yourself. That is true. Yet here you are, yet you here you are telling black people, you're throwing our face where we are economically. First of all, you know, the whole bootstrap theory, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, first of all, we fucking did that and you burnt our shit down, Black Wall Street, the first time. And we're talking about doing it again and we're actually seeing action. I have never seen as much solidarity when it comes to <clears throat> rebuilding the black community. I've never seen so many people be on code and that threatens people. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 if, I, if I can interject, uh, as I spoke about the years of reconstruction, I think a lot of people need to, um, whether they're black, white, purple, green, whatever, you need to go back to the end of the Civil War and those 10 years from 1866 roughly to about 1877, let's call it 1888, mm -hmm. the Reconstruction period, um, there were, especially in cities like New Orleans, there were very prominent businesses and affluent communities that came out of that. But because Jim Crow entered in, in the 19th century, those were those were kind of reversed. And I think mm -hmm. to your to your point about um, black business, and I, I kind of mentioned this a few episodes back. Um, one of the things about supporting black businesses that black businesses on the on the reverse have to kind of support us, meaning that if you're going to open a right. black business, if you're going to open a black business, more a brick and mortar store, um, I'm not telling you to how to run your business, but I'm telling you that you, you should at least have some things in that store that are other black businesses, meaning you should carry if you carry hair, hair care products. You should mm -hmm. not only carry the hair care products that the Koreans um, make and produce, but you can mm -hmm. also carry black skin care products. So that way, the right. other black businesses that you are. And I'm seeing supporting. that. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing because I have a lot of entrepreneur um, friends who um, who I, I'm seeing on Instagram because we're all mutual friends with each other. They're networking with each other. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. They're networking with each other. I have a friend. Her name is um. Her name's Courtney. She, oh, sorry, Chloe. Courtney's her sister. She's do doing um on her her own like skincare uh, tutorial, like her YouTube channel. What she does is she samples product. Cause I was telling her about what I'm not gonna put all my business out there because I don't believe in you know laying out the blueprint before. You know what I mean? Yeah. But <clears throat> I told her like you know my plans, and she was talking about hey like you know if you're into um you know if you're into starting your own business in skincare or whatever the case may be, I will sample your products and promote them on my YouTube channel. That's what she does now. And I'm seeing her, she, she, and it's not just skincare either. She samples food. There's this girl, Almaz, that we were in, um, that we went to high school with as well. Another, another black, a Trinidadian girl. She's a vegan, she's a vegan cook, but she also infuses with like cannabis and stuff like that. She's like super hippie. And she, she, you know, samples her food on her YouTube channel. I'm seeing that like all this, this is all within like the span of a week. Like I'm seeing that more, more often because I think that that what you touched on something. I think that that was another problem when it comes to, to black businesses is yeah. that there was no solidarity within the entrepreneurship. You know Correct. what I mean? The, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I think people are starting to get it. You know, people are starting to, well, to really um, wake up. Well, well, the reason I, the reason I say that I, 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 that's coming from a place of economic um, from, from the economic realm, meaning that um, the state of capitalism, uh, it's free enterprise, but with also free enterprise comes becomes competition. And with right. competition, 
it's it's a, a it's a age old mantra that you know I don't want to open a brick and mortar. Let's say Cleve opened the shop, and I'm mm-hmm. selling. Let's say I'm selling clippers or 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 black barbershop tools or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where that also that outshines that piece of business outshines the business that I'm trying to do. Where everyone's coming because Naya's products are selling out off of my shelves, and I'm like, great, but they're not <clears throat> patroning. They're not patroning the rest of my business. Ninety mm-hmm. percent of my business is something else. But ten mm-hmm. percent might be the skincare products I have a a black person put into my shop. So mm-hmm. the the premise of free enterprise and competition within the realm of capitalism kind of pushes that narrative to for people to believe that, well, man, you know what? It's jealousy at the end of the day because this mm-hmm. person is going to outshine me. Mm-hmm. We are we are seeing a resurgence of a lot of uh, a lot of focus on things, but we'll we'll see how long it lasts. We'll see how long we can sustain this before the next news cycle becomes something else. And uh-huh. we're on to the next thing, because as I mentioned before, when it comes to if we're going to talk about black business and supporting, um, you're right. You're 100 percent right. We are as a as a dollar fund. We are very economically powerful, but we don't mm-hmm. really realize that. And I mentioned this on the on the on the, on the episode <laughs> with Lenny. I said, if every black person in America gave one dollar, one solitary dollar to a super fund that we can have maybe some oversight committee. We create some, some things where they can watch over this money. Let's call it $300 million that we put into the super fund. Every time we have an instance of injustice, whether it be a killing or a wrongful imprisonment or a sex trafficking, whatever, whatever in the realm of human injustice, because I think it's more than black injustice. It's also human injustice. We just happen to be on the forefront right now because we've had the 400 year behind in, mm-hmm. in getting equality if we had that i don't care what lawyer if it's italian if it's black if it's white we could say to that person listen we need you to fight a case for us your retainer no problem it is covered let's do it talk about and, blackout blackout mm-hmm, tuesday mm-hmm. blackout tuesday who cares about blackout tuesday how about taking two weeks for us not to buy one single solitary fucking thing from anybody two weeks right shut it down we don't spend any money Green matters. We don't spend any money. I bet you. I bet you see some people jumping on, like, "Oh, let's change this. Let's change that." Because mm-hmm. you touched on a pulse. It's economics, but we're staying in the realm of black businesses, and um, I want to kind of keep in that avenue. So go ahead and expound. Well, when it comes to the whole, like, you going back to the economics part. When it comes to the whole. Black people investing in, and I, I wanted to jump back to the conversation, the conversation that essentially even brought me here today, the conversation I was having with Stanley, um, an ex-comrade uh, of mine when I was in the Army. He, uh, he thought that my ideas for, or my supporting the ideas to only support Black businesses was segregationist and that um, it was racist. And I asked him, I said, how many Black businesses do you shop with? And he said, like, he said, he told me it wasn't fair because he doesn't consciously, like, go out looking for businesses where, you know, the owner is black or white. And that's fair, you know. But the fact of the matter is these these entrepreneurs, these these black people, they have they're they're not just corporations. You know what I mean? These small businesses, they are they are black families, you know, and they're selling the same things that we're selling at Walmarts and such. And we're going to Walmart, giving our money to Walmart. Yeah. You know, it's not about, it's, it's, it's not about, it's, it's, 
I hate calling it segregation, is simply just catching up. There's nothing else, like there's no other way that I can put that. You know what I mean? There's no other way that I can put that. If the Muslim community in China, because they're doing, they're, they're like, just as like the condition of Muslims in China is just as almost as bad as, you know, people of color here. But if they were to say, hey, like, we're just going to stop shopping, we're going to stop going inner city, we're going to stop shopping with um, non-Muslim, you know what I mean? Who can blame them after everything that they put up with in China? Why would I keep shopping with you? Why would I keep funding the system that you don't care to change? I told them, I said, it's not about being, uh, you know, racist or anything like that. At this point, it's a defense mechanism. Because obviously we're the most vulnerable population in this country because we are economic, we are in every way, shape or form weak. Before this, we didn't even have that much solidarity with one another. There was the whole black, uh, the, the um, dark skin versus light skin thing and the whole like, if, if you're half black, you're not black, you're, you're, you're whatever, you know what I mean? There's, mm -hmm. there's just, there's so, it's so much deeper than just, oh, keep everyone else out of the black community and, oh, we just hate everyone else because of oppression, oppression. It's so much deeper than that. I think, I don't know, maybe I can speak on behalf of a lot of people in the black community when I say that when it comes to like the whole, maybe it's a fear of retaliation, if it's a fear of like, you know, losing your, losing superiority in economics and whatever the case may be. I think that black people just want to live. We just want to live. We just, we, we want to be able to go for a job and not have to worry about not coming home. We want to be able to, to, to open our business and not have to be, be afraid that it's going to close down because people don't trust it because it's a black owned business and who, you know, who the hell knows about black owned businesses. That's all I think that black people really want. It's, it's the same thing that everyone else wants. Yeah, for some reason, when Black people ask for it, no matter which way, no matter how they ask for it, there's just so much but, but, but. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a realization, an example of, so when I moved here back in 2011, um, one of the things being a Black man is that um, even going to Black barbershops, right? Going mm -hmm. to, I've never, I've never been to like a Supercuts. I've never been to anything but a black barbershop. Right. And that's not because I just didn't, um, I don't believe in that. It's just that I just didn't have that available. I was only, I lived in areas where only black barbershops were available to me. So that's what I did. Right. So when I moved here, first thing I had to find uh, once I got my bearings was to find a, a barbershop. Urban community. Because I, yeah. yeah. Cause I get my hair cut every two weeks or so for the most part and every week I might get a shape up if I'm afforded the time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I found a place that was not too far from where I live. Um, I was going there roughly for about a year or so. No problems. Mm -hmm. It was a very respectable business. It wasn't the typical barbershop where you go in and it's just loud and it's crazy and it was it was very nice business because children were there so the guys didn't even curse in the shop when they talked about sports and things of that nature. I'm in a shop mm -hmm. now. It's, it's a typical barbershop. But I was going to this place for a while. And what made me patron them was the fact that one Sunday, um, one of the barbers I called for an appointment, wasn't able to see me because they were so booked. He called me on um, Sunday morning, like 7 in the morning. He says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to church at noon. Um, since you missed your appointment, I would love to have you come into the shop you know, within the next hour or so to get your hair cut. I'm like, are you open? He's like, no, no, I'm just going to open the shop. I have keys to the shop and open the shop to make sure that my customers, my customers get treated. 
I thought that was dope. Mm-hmm. Then I went, took care of that. It's been great. And then all of a sudden, I I think, you know, I was waiting my two weeks to go in for my next haircut. I show mm-hmm. up. The entire business is closed. They're gone. Like, they packed up shop. It seemed relatively like in the middle of the night and just shut what down. And I was like, that is so weird. I called the numbers to the barber. I called the barber, the guy that owned the place. Nobody's answering the calls. And then I bumped into somebody a week after that that told me that they were having trouble with their lease and they just had to close up shop. Now, I would have thought, and maybe this is just the way I think, that they would have appealed to their customer base and hey, guys, we are going to be transparent here. We're having a lot of trouble, um, you know, making our lease payment on our on our spot. We want to hold mm-hmm. something where we could create some kind of thing where we, we can have the community help us keep our business open and thriving. Instead, mm-hmm. they just shut down and close up. They didn't even shut down and relocate. They just shut down. There was no word. I was Because I was waiting for word to say, well, if he could call me to tell me I would like to honor, there mm-hmm. could have been a call that went out to everyone to say, hey, um, unfortunately, we're going to be closing our doors after 10 years of business because we can't sustain, and that's it. So I think when it comes to the mm-hmm. stigma of black business, a, a lot of, and I'm not going to broad stroke every black business, but a lot of black businesses don't know how to conduct business. Not black business. They don't know how yeah. to conduct business. So with that being said, when I'm Caribbean, if you guys didn't know that, I'm, you know, actually I'm South American. We just uh, adhere to Caribbean standards, but I'm South American by geographic location. And one of the things about when you go into a Caribbean food store is that if you don't go by a certain time, the oxtail is out by three o'clock. The patties are gone by one o'clock. There's no second mm-hmm. wave coming. They're just, you got to get there by a certain time. If God helps mm-hmm. you get there at seven o'clock at night, you're not going to get any any fresh food or anything available to you because they mm-hmm. don't know how to kind of do that. I, I can't speak to their business practices, but what I can speak to is that if I'm running a business, whether it's black or white or whatever, I'm not going to conduct business in that, in that manner. I'm going to make sure that Naya, we have, I have an order of, of hair care products coming in. Can you fill my order for next week so that I don't run out of product? I don't call you when I'm on my last bottle of hair sheen. I call you when, right. I call you when, that first box is gone. Like, listen, you gave me three boxes. Right. That first box sold out. Let me put another box mm-hmm. on tap. So when I get down to my last, my last box, that box is coming in. So it's mm-hmm. just a matter of black businesses conducting themselves in business. Everyone wants to do business. Well, but here's, but that's the thing. When it comes to, um, I know what you mean by that. Because I, I mean, I used when I was living in, in Augusta, there was this Caribbean spot that I used to go to called Jamaica Way. And they were always, um, for some reason, they they couldn't they couldn't keep up with desserts. I was always trying to get some rum cake, and they just never had it. But um, anyway, uh, I think that when it comes to like small black businesses, it's just okay. We can't compare like the, for example, the West Indian spot to like a franchise like Chick Fil A. You know what I mean? Chick Fil A, like it's it's a fast food chain. You know, they hell their their products not even the quality of chicken is not even going to be as good as the quality of chicken at the at the Caribbean spot. You know what I mean? The quality of beef is not going to be as good as the quality of beef at the chicken spot. The, the, the Caribbean spot is probably um, getting their food from like a actual farmer's market or something. But that Caribbean shop is a small business. Like I don't, I, won't, I wouldn't always expect them to 
constantly have like the the funds and the resources to keep supply like to always keep supply of things as uh as a wendy's or a friday's or or even like a pizzeria that's been around in a family since the 50s you know like it's i don't know i just when it comes to black businesses i treat i treat them like children this is what I, you know what i mean you got what you, i said i you made a yeah. very poignant uh poignant argument about supporting these businesses and we both agreed on you know within the within the cell structure of the business to support other businesses like yours to have them have them have a a presence in your shop if it's a brick and mortar Mm -hmm. if it's not a brick Mm -hmm. and mortar is to say hey i get my supply of this particular item from this particular um person or this particular family Mm -hmm. of people or whatever it is but Mm -hmm. but again what you just said is true all around but if you go to the Caribbean, I think you've been to Guyana, right? <clears throat> no, I've been to Barbados. Barbados. Okay. If you go to certain places, certain places in Jamaica, certain places in Guyana, certain places, they never run out of supplies. They, you can go to that mm-hmm. shop at five o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the evening, and there is constant conveyor belt like service. They're they're still chiming out. Their pots are still burning in the back. They're still cooking. And I said, but how far away are these places from like a local farm or a local butcher? I don't know, but they, but they still, they, they somehow sustain, make it happen. Yes. And, and, and that's the thing. That's the thing I've seen this. And then, you know, we're going to spill into some ranks here. I've, I've been to Spanish stores where they're either not stocked or they're overstocked where we've seen stores in the hood where they got so much stuff that they, their stocks are actually on the aisle. Like they have boxes in an aisle where they have stuff that's the next item is get ready to put on that on that shelf. And I'm like, man, they have nowhere to store this stuff where they actually mm-hmm. have it in the store. You know, I've been in stores mm-hmm. in Newark. I've been in stores in East Orange where I know what you're talking about. Like yeah, there's a, there's a bodega like that comes are, to mind in person. Yeah, you guys are yeah. <laughs> like it's just so I can't even move around in your store because you, your store is actually your warehouse as well. And 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 right. that's what that's my only issue with me. I would always support a black business if that business knows how to support other black businesses or other business whatever, and it can they can treat the customer with with the with the respect. Like I said, I would go to great lengths. I used to drive eight hour when I moved from Inglewood to Inglewood from Piscataway. I used to drive all the way back to New Brunswick to get a haircut. I'm talking. I could have easily found a barbershop in, in, in Inglewood or Teaneck, but I drove all mm-hmm. the way back because the service that I got when I went to see certain guys and I felt comfortable giving my money. So it was also an excuse to see mom, but it was basically for me to kind of get back, you know? Mm-hmm. And I look at it. I love, I love what you, if, if your friends are doing something where they're supporting. My friends are awesome. My friends are of all, all races too. That's the crazy yeah, thing. I have a, um, I have a, a friend. I have like a, a couple North African friends and a couple white friends who, um, like my 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 friend Cassie. She's like into like the whole makeup thing and like she did this whole like tribute. Like uh, um, she did like a what is it called? What did they do? Um, she she did like the faces of like of of like some of her like her black friends using like straight like Fenty like Rihanna Fenty products. Yeah, and she said like for like she said like for 
as long as like protesting and riots are going on, she's only doing representation of like her, like the black models on her page. Yeah, see, and, you know, little yeah. things like that, and, little things like that, because the black models on her page are at their either other makeup artists or their models themselves, like little things like that, like just exposure like that. And, and you know, like my friends are awesome. Further. Like, yeah, you could have someone do that, and then another person who designs the the dresses or the 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 outerwear that goes to someone who can um who can address the footwear to someone who has a transportation business to get us to the protest. So there, that is this right there. Someone to watch the kids. Yeah, that's a, all of it. That's a, that's a village. The old, mm-hmm. the old African proverb. If you, if you, <laughs> if you show, um, oh God, I can never get this right. If you, if a, if a child feels no warmth from the village, the child will burn that village down to feel its warmth. Mm-hmm. That was, um, that was Killmonger's, um, statement in Black Panther. Not in the movie. One of the, one of the cuts, the edits that they didn't put in the movie. But it was it's an African proverb. If a child doesn't mm-hmm. feel the warmth of the village, they will burn it down to feel the warmth of it. You know what I'm saying? So it takes mm-hmm. it always takes a village. It always takes a village. If if you go into business, if you go into business, and you have a network of people that do different things, it is easy to become a conglomerate. Because that's what mm-hmm. that's what Walmart does. That's what Target does. That's what all mm-hmm. these other chain stores do. They have a certain mm-hmm. amount of farmers that they only mess with to bring, is, I think it's Dole, to bring mm-hmm. those products into their yep. into their produce aisle. If they're mm-hmm. dealing with a certain vendor that can truck their stuff Purdue. yeah, across the country, their chicken vendor. And we don't do that. I don't know if we know how to do that, but that's how... I don't think we have the resources to do it yet. That's what that's what people don't understand. People keep saying, like, the civil rights movement was not that long ago, you know? And these, the, the when it comes to financial literacy and business administration and all that stuff, that's relatively new in the Black community as far as, like, American history goes. That's relatively new in the Black community. So I that's why I say, like, we kind of have, like, I, I feel like, especially like other black people, we give black businesses kind of like a hard time. We give them more of a hard time than support. I don't know. It's just my opinion. No, it's, 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 I mean, it's, um, I, 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 um, one thing about, and I've been having this discussion and I've been trying not to have the discussion for the last probably two weeks. And I am hopefully going to be rolling into something else really soon because um, a lot of my friends that want to have these discussions, I don't think they're ready to have these discussions. They may think they're. Ready. Oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I it, this is a very lonely, cold year. <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> they probably aren't friends that I thought were like so progressive and like, you know, just worldly and I, understanding and compassionate. I'm just in awe. I'm in awe at like the commitment. The, the commitment they have to not understanding and not empath- like you know empathizing with you it's <laughs> it's telling it's the subconscious i told my i told stanley i said i said stanley you don't understand how subconscious like you're you're subconsciously telling me that you are <laughs> subconsciously aware of your privilege to sit here and tell me that i'm a racist and a segregationist to look at a community to look at a system that is oppressing people who look like me and saying, I still want to give my money to you versus giving my money to the people who look like me. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's, it is, it is the reality of the reality. And I tell people 
<laughs> I've been saying this for the last probably week and a half, is that the things the things that the transgender and the LBG community are are at the forefront now of that they're fighting for their rights. Uh, get in line because we are we're four hundred and one years waiting. We're right. four hundred and one years right. Waiting. So now you guys, but then, but but the LGBT community, they step though. They come out and support. I will say that I saw a lot of LGBT. I, I protested with my friend Cassie and her friend, um, her friend uh, Leo, in North Plainfield, and I saw, um, you know, just gays for black rights and such and such. You know what I mean? So I see it all the time on social media too. Because what the LGBTQ uh, plus, I believe, community, what's what they hold on strong too. And I, that's why I feel like, I, I don't like when people say like, oh, I mean, yes, there obviously are gays and, and lesbians and whoever who are racist, obviously. But I think that the, the, that community as a whole definitely does stand in solidarity with the black community. Because if you look at like the plight of these two communities and the, the oppression and persecution that these two communities have been through, they're staggeringly similar. And at the same time, there are Black people who are a part of that community and who have been Black people who have been on the front lines in their, their you know, their cries for justice in that community. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the LGBT community was so quick to forget that because they showed up. Yeah, the the the, the complexity of the, com- and, and uh, I hope I can coin this phrase one day, the complexity of color, basically, is that we deal with we deal with being a minority, but then we also sub sub out our minorities as well. Because if you right. are a black woman, a black gay woman, the brown paper bag test—that's <laughs> yeah, all it is. Yeah, if you're a black woman, <laughs> a black gay woman, if you're the same woman, you're black, you're gay, you're transgender, you're whatever. Now you've you've added layers of your of of yeah of your discriminatory um thing. Like you now you're, you're labeled a, yeah, a higher target. Yeah, you're, now you're, you're, just, labeled, uh, you're just climbing the label. You're labeled the label ladder. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The one thing about the one thing about the Civil Rights Act of nineteen sixty four, which I, I mentioned this because it comes into focus with a lot of things that are happening happening now. Um it it only affected a few different um classes and I always always use this uh loosely classes of, of, of people. Because within your blackness, within your, within your whiteness, there's class. There's, there's class that goes in that. I think, right. one of the, I think one of the myths that people don't realize. I can't believe you're saying this right now because I was just having this conversation yeah. on Facebook too. Yeah. I, I, how in America, classism is synonymous to racism. Yeah. That's the whole point of racism so, in the country is to keep you in a certain class. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I say this to say that. I said one of the mysteries or one of the, the, um, the fallacies is that when it comes down to broad stroking a, a a paintbrush to paint every person of non-color to be racist or or have a superiority complex, only prominent white people had slaves. No poor black, mm-hmm. no poor white person owned a slave. That's right. that that is something that people don't realize or they don't un- understand. So not every person that lived in the South in the 1860s or in the 1840s or the 1830s had slaves they were also sharecroppers or they were they were working on the land but they they could punch out and leave when a black person just couldn't because you worked that land you you were owned you were chattel on that property so when it comes to class that's that happens there are there are poor whites that are disenfranchised there are poor blacks that are disenfranchised worse than blacks that are middle upper middle class 
So within mm-hmm. within our blackness, if that's the, the word of the day, that that's the fashionable thing to say now, is that we, we got to understand the complexity of our color. You mm-hmm. you mentioned it with when it comes to skin, skin tone. Skin, light skin. Yeah, when it comes mm-hmm. to skin tone. That in itself has very vast um, complexities built into it. Very, mm-hmm. very vast. because And very intentional. Yes. It's very intentional. The whole, and that goes all the way back to slavery, as all of us know. The, the, that was it, that divide was that seed was planted the division that that caused in the black community that was intentional and that seed was planted since we arrived on these shores and then unfortunately now we have people who look you know racially ambiguous now fetishized in media i have a racially ambiguous daughter and i i'm so afraid for her when she comes of age you know, when she comes of age, like puberty and such like that, how I know she will be fetishized because of her racial ambiguity. You know what I mean? And she's going to experience racism. I know she will. But at the same time, she probably will never, well, no, she she can't experience colorism because colorism was not designed to persecute light-skinned people. (laughs) But that's something that I, I have to think about with my kids. I have to think about with my son being fully Black. He's a fully black male. So everything that's going on on TV, every time I see the faces of kids that were that were shot or beaten by police, I see my kids. Yeah, it's uh, I think of when I think of Tamir Rice, um, of of all the victims, what he what he was doing was what I did as a kid. We played cops and robbers. We had toy guns outside. And, you know, to think of that being a death sentence, that 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 one is is really, really shocking. Same as the um, I forget the young young man's name, the one that was murdered in Walmart. Um, He went in Walmart. Yeah. You never heard that story. Um, He uh, you're going to have to Google it because the name escapes me right now. But he basically he was in a Walmart um, buying a cap gun because he was doing he's buying a uh, and and he had a um, it was a uh, fake a fake nine millimeter that he had uh-huh. in the store. Someone saw him with the nine millimeter and they thought he was pointing at somebody or whatever. So they called the police. The people called the police. They stormed the video surveillance showed that the cops came in militarized. And this is the problem with, with police. They came in militarized. And when mm-hmm. they, it, there was some dispute about the orders. They, they gave him to drop the weapon. They thought it was a weapon. He was trying to explain it wasn't a weapon. And he was mm-hmm. gunned down in Walmart. This this happened. This happened. Now this was just regular cops. Yeah, this like, yeah, this regular cops. But when they assault came in, rifles, they like, came in with AR-15s and oh my gosh. And, and okay, so <laughs> now I want to touch on the topic of, and not too long because I know we're running out of time. I want to touch on the topic of this this narrative being pushed to defund the police. Yeah, I talked about it today. Did you listen? Yes, I did. And that's <laughs> what made me actually message you and, you know, say, hey, I want to touch on this. Okay. But um, when it comes to the, when you said you, you mentioned briefly when I spoke to you earlier that because um, like you, I didn't really understand the whole concept of like, what does it mean to I mean, I know what defund means. Yeah. But like, what does defunding the police do and what does that mean in this sense? And you said that it's just redist- like reallocating, um, great word, reallocating the funds that, you know, go into these police departments to these organizations for, um, you know, causes for justice. Mm-hmm. And so that made me think. Now, 
when it comes to police officers having these military grade weapons now this is me speaking as like a veteran mm-hmm. when it comes to police officers whether they have the um prior service background or not in the armed forces having these military grade weapons that kind of makes me feel a little uneasy mm-hmm. because sure. because you wouldn't why would you Come on, service take your, members. Take your listen, time. Take your time. Yeah, because you, I know I'm going. trying to I'm trying to articulate yeah, this I know, because just, it just, just, just baffles just, me. Just say it. It baffles I know, me. I know. I know you. Try, I know what you're trying to say. Just say it. Now in the army, we are trained. I am. Tra- they they don't just say here. Here's a grenade. Throw it. We are trained proper form to throw a grenade to not only go far enough but actually hit its target. We are trained how to, it's called military movement drills, how to maneuver with ARs. And we are trained how to, how to low crawl and high crawl with ARs. We are trained rules of engagement and what can happen to you when you violate those rules of engagement. Cops are not. <laughs> you Cops do not get grenade throwing training. They do not. When do, do you give cops ARs in police academy and to and show them how to train with it? <laughs> I I I have a video on my on my Instagram page from about four, ooh, probably seven years ago now. Wow, because I've been out here a while. Where I went to a range with a police officer as a friend of mine. Again, I don't like to put people's names on on the podcast for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, but we went um, to shoot nine millimeters. And he said, I got a treat for you today. I brought some of my weapons from work. I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking more nine millimeters or something a little different. Maybe a a a 357, something, you know, something crazy. He brings out an M4. Yeah. He, he, he opens a briefcase briefcase and he kicks, he kicks this weapon out. And my, I shot it, you know, because I'm being a guy, him shooting it or whatever. And I, said to him later we were getting something to eat I said let me ask you something I said um I said that weapon that AR-15 right what is that used for this is he was going to Ferguson and I didn't know in a couple of weeks because the Mike Brown thing had happened a couple of weeks after we went shooting he had to go Mm -hmm. to Ferguson as part of he's a federal right control yeah so he was like yeah we're gonna be um take we have to kind of cycle these weapons because we're taking these weapons with us to to um on a, on a training exercise, but the training exercise, he didn't know was going to end up being a live exercise, which was going to be Ferguson because Mike Brown had got killed like a, a week after we had talked. And then he was like, yeah, oh I'm my going gosh. To, he's, like, he's like, I'm still going to Ferguson, but I, I got to go with this weapon because the police is requesting backup and stuff like that. And I said, wait a minute. I said, you're going to use it. He's like, yeah, well, he's like, I'll just be doing crowd control. And I was like, a, wait, yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, you need an assault weapon to do crowd control like this? He was like, it's a show of force. So I realized that that when I see a police team look like SEAL Team Six, that's they a have, I know you know that's what their a, intentions are. That's a problem. Yes, that's a problem. You're showing me what your intentions are. That's a problem. And the and and the <clears> bad <throat> the bad part about that is that I don't black people are at a forefront of police brutality. But it is it is what it is. It's police brutality. There's videos and surveillance and, and, and footage of other people, black, brown, white, 
being killed by police, women, children being killed by police, being knocked out by police. So we are getting the, the brunt of it, but it's a it's a systemic it is it's right, a you're right. It's, it it's is not, a power, it is an issue of power. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue of yeah, power. It's, and like you said, with that issue of power, there are tears to the persecution who yes, gets it the worst. Yes, right. exactly. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I do not feel I, I don't I don't care what I am. Whether I could be a white woman or a white man, I can tell you right now, I do not, I don't think I would feel as safe. Yes. Here when, in America. when they say the blue line, that's what they're talking about. When when as a teenager, if I'm being stopped by police, if and I see a black policeman um in one of the cars, I should feel safe enough to, say, well, to, to say, you know what, if something goes crazy here, this brother should have my back. But then this brother's tap dancing hardcore. Like he's coming harder than the other officers. I'm like, bro, right. what are you doing? Like, this is like, I'm expecting for, for you to just kind of keep watch and make sure that I'm good. But now I'm like, you know what? You're not going to, because you're a cop, buddy, and you're a cop. You guys are covering for each other. That's mm-hmm. what made, that's what made that situation with George Floyd so bad. I didn't see it as black and white. I saw it as a human being being done through a system where, no one says, hey, Naya, he's had enough. Let him up. All right, that's enough because I'm, he- I'm hearing a human well, being cry out that they're I hurting. Just, I just see when it comes to the whole, specifically the George Floyd. Well, let me back up real quick. I wanted to touch on something. You had mentioned about the, in situations with like riot control like that, because I don't believe that police officers should have ARs. That's when you call, if, if it's that bad to where you need, you know, people with ARs, I think that the SWAT team should have ARs, but you shouldn't even be calling SWAT. There should be no reason as to why police a, a police force should be because no one has an AR at these protests. Why are you coming with ARs? You know what I mean? Well, well, here, here dear daughter, here's why. Here's why I want to answer that. When you look at states like Montana, Oregon, Washington State, we have these militia Texas. We have these militias out there. Mm-hmm. These people are armed with military grade weapons. These people, these people are anti-government, all country. It's God's country. But I promise you, they would not be coming out like that if they didn't see a a whole police unit marching down their street. That's my, but that's my, that's my thing. If you remember a few years ago, you might've been away overseas on a deployment. There was a few years ago where some guys, um, a militia took some government land, I believe in Oregon. And police came, police came to, um, get the land back to say, hey, what's going on? There's, I'm going to see if I can get this footage and I'm going to send this to you through YouTube. There's these guys talking to police with AR-15s and M4s drawn down on the police and they're aiming, and these cops have no weapons unholstered. They're just listening to what these guys are saying. These guys are telling them to get the hell out of here. I take this land in, in in the name of the people of the United States of America because they, as crazy as you want to perceive this, they believe in the Constitution to the point of what it says, that the government is for the people. If the, peop- if the government is not for the people or not representative of the people, the people discard government. That's what mm-hmm. these people wholeheartedly believe. And they mm-hmm. will die for that. They will die for that, <laughs> that belief and that right. So when it comes to what and you I, said And I, earlier, honestly, God, don't see so. anything. Yeah, so. I don't, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. To be that's what I'm saying. Completely, but this wrong, is why, completely honest. I don't see anything wrong with that. So, but then I, but then I. But talk how come they're the only type of people who can do shit like that? Though <laughs> I talk about, I talk about Micah Johnson. 
Michael Johnson, 2016 in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas, killed five police officers in retaliation of a black person being murdered in his. That was city. right before I moved there. Too. Yeah. So Michael Johnson did that. So this is why police say, "Hey, we need AR-15s because there are military trained people out there, black, white, whatever, that mm-hmm. can that can unleash this really, kind of carnage like on sh- us." Yeah. You know the North Hollywood mm-hmm. shootout. In, in, but in the, California, but the they that's didn't the have weaponry to even match these guys. So, so police are looking at it like, well, we need to be funded like the military. I know for a fact that police departments get weaponry from military installations that are, that are no longer needed to say, okay, well, we got AR-15s that we're not using for this unit because we've upgraded to some other weapon. So we're going to ship these to the police departments around the country mm. because they have a budget to buy. Because police unions are one of the strongest unions in this country. They lobby, they lobby government for laws. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so hard to prosecute the police because no one polices the police. This is right. what the fight is right now. It ain't, it ain't, yeah. it's, it's, it ain't it's about just, justice. it ain't about just it's fucking equal, charging these, these, yeah, these. it's equal justice. It's, it's to say that if I, as a black person, if I call you in the middle of the night that I think someone broke into my house, I'm not going to be questioned as if I'm the one that broke into my house. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, the problem is changing, changing the mind. I did not even know. I did not even know until this thing happened that if I'm a police officer and I have a problem in Piscataway, New Jersey, and they kick me off the force, I can, I can come to Virginia and get a job because those records don't correlate. You can't see my records from my Oh, apartment. yeah. Yeah, I mean, state, state records. I, mean, I, I thought it was like um, federal records you can't like happen to though. Yeah. So they don't even know I might have been an officer with eight infractions in, in Piscataway, but I, I'd come to Alexandria and I'm on the force like it ain't no problem. Oh I never, wait, I never knew what? that's nuts. Yeah. So I, that's I guess what, I didn't understand that's what you what said what the first time. Bills, that's wow. what that's what that's what's happening now. They're trying to get a universal database to say, well, if we have a rogue cop, you have oh Derek Chauvin Derek Chauvin be- had oh. 18 offenses. And he was still working on the force. He was actually training those two other officers. He oh, was the guy that them, killed Mike Brown? Yeah, no, the, the guy that killed George Floyd. Derek Chauvin was a 20-year oh, oh, oh. police vet. The two other officers who already rolled on him, saying they were on the, on the force a few months. To Tao Chow, whatever his name is, he's only he was on the force for six or seven, I'm sorry, 12 years. For 12 They're years. probably going to get off a little bit considering like you know they're they were kind of like novices hey there's there's yeah well they're probably gonna the, get off a little bit here's the thing the blood the blood that that, that the people want is Derek Chauvin and they'll yes. take the others as well but there are two martyrs here there's Derek Chauvin he put himself in that seat and there's George Floyd the yep. other martyrdom so that that both created a, a a situation where you know um I would never say that I'm happy that something c- comes out of it but some good has to come out of, of how policing, whether you're black, white, or whatever. When I was a kid, when I was a, a little kid, I lived, and I always talk about this. The officers in my community, we knew them. We knew Officer Jones, Officer Stevens, Officer Michaels. Hell they yeah, lived we, know, the we know the officers here. They, the they lived up the street from us. Yes. Yeah, lived, yeah. Mahoney, we knew him. Yeah. He lived up the street from us. And so they worked and lived in those communities where... If something happened, you could easily tell Officer Michaels, hey, the person that robbed that store ain't from around here. And that wouldn't even be considered a snitch. That's protecting our neighborhood to say, well, you can't come in here 
and do that because we have a cop on our block, so you can't come uh-huh. around here doing that. These cops don't even live in the city that they that they patrol. They mm-hmm. live up in the hills and they come in and say, it's "Okay, a job. I'm gonna deal, yeah, it's I'm gonna deal job. with these people." Yeah, they're they're not invested in that community. They just gotta right. keep the peace. So it's a larger issue. I mean, police brutality is what it is. Police brutality. It's not black police brutality. It's not white. It's not Spanish. It's police brutality. And right. people have had enough of it. Yeah, we've police, seen them. They're not, they're not above. They're just not police, above you police know, taking are, advantage of vulnerable police's people. history come from slave catchers. Yes. Bounty hunters. That's where that comes from. So the mentality, the mentality of that is 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 has been brought down, but it's been so many years of policing. We're gonna close on this and then we're gonna continue this conversation another another time, uh, unless okay. you have a final word. The the thing that I want people to understand right now is that any any person that's not of color who are actively protesting and, and getting a, a taste of what happened, welcome to the party. Because it ain't new. It's been happening for a long time. And thank time. you for coming. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> now you got a front row seat. Now you got something to say at your next cocktail party in your house to say, hey, I protested with the blacks. I protested with the Spanish. I protested with, with, with the women. And the gay. And that's honorable. Was, and then, that's uh, honorable. That's history making. You get yeah. to say when your kids ask you, like, hey, when that yeah. when all that shit popped yeah. off in 2020, welcome, what did you do? You get to welcome, say that yeah, you took welcome a stand. To the, welcome to the party. But I I am a uh, a firm believer if we want to strike a chord in this country, it has to be an economic economic stance. We have to show people, like you said, our buying power. If we if we just just abducted from buying from for two weeks to say I'm not going to spend a dime anywhere, anywhere, not to eat out, not to go out, not to get any products. Two weeks, I guarantee that's going to be felt. That's mm-hmm. going to be felt. People are going to be like, oh, let me let me not have my policies um with that. I don't know if that Jeff Bezos email is real. I don't know if you saw that. What Jeff Bezos email? Um, I'm so misinformed or you uninformed. Can, you can Google it. Um, a person, um, so Jeff Bezos, you know, I'm, I love Amazon. He wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, someone wrote him, uh, I'm, and I'm speculating here. I think that they were white. They wrote him saying that they're not, um, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me back up. Amazon wrote an email to all Amazon subscribers and people that have prime and all that saying mm-hmm. that they stand with the black Lives matters <clears throat> protesters that are pe- peacefully protesting racial injustices da, 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 da. they wrote that mm-hmm. out to everybody someone wrote wrote amazon back saying how dare you send me an email about black black lives matter and this that, and the other they're not with that all lives matter so jeff bezos fired back in his email so he published his email back to the person and he published the person's email. I think blocking their name or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was their conversation about the whole movement. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to end on this and I'm pretty sure we're going to have to retort this. Yeah. I I am about Black Lives Matter but my thing is and this might be because Black Lives Matter is not incorporated yet on a level of like the N- NAACP but where the fuck was Black where the fuck was Black Lives Matter in Chicago for all those years with all those kids murdering each other. Black Lives Matter then, didn't it? It should have mattered. Where was where was Black Lives Matter in some of the just in North New Jersey? Every year there's 200 unsolved murders. Where's 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 the marching for stuff like that? Where's the step up for stuff like that? 
it, it well, takes at the political same time, black lives black lives matter is funded by white democrats so yeah there we go well you <laughs> see you see you're woke and you brought your pillow you brought your pillow to say i don't sleep on this pillow so I already, I already know when talking to you i already, I already know, know I already the deal know, yeah. I, know. I don't have to i don't have to educate you on on that you already know <laughs> So, <laughs> but at the same time, it's so weird how I feel about Black Lives, and I'll add on this: it's it's weird. I don't I don't believe in the Black Lives Matter like movement because I do believe that Black Lives Matter at the same time is pushing a certain agenda that does not yes. benefit Black lives. But at the same yes. time, I believe Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I um, I I look at I look at um I look at this whole thing like a storm, like a storm that's coming where where the storm is coming, but the Black Lives Matter is the black clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the rain getting ready to start for, to give us this storm. The storm is fighting for equality for everyone. If you are a woman and you do the same job as a man, you should get paid same same wage. If you are, if you are someone that wants to do something, you should not be held back by your gender, your sexual orientation, your religious beliefs, and things of that nature. It's equality. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we, all, we all enjoy a level of privilege that we have within our own ranks, but we want, we want the privilege. We want the privilege to go shopping wherever and not feel like I'm stealing out of your store. Lenny I want to correct you on something. I want to correct you on something. I don't, we have equality now. We need equity. There's a difference. <laughs> nice. I like that. We I need like equity that. because the equality, that's what, that's the whole, you know, the narrative, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you know, everybody, we're all abiding by the same laws. We all have the same opportunity and they're right, but we don't have equity because motherfucker, you and yours are 400 years ahead. Yeah. It's a 400 year head start. And if you, if you damn sure they make something of that, I'm sorry for you because they made right. something of it 400 years. And, but it's time. And, and like I said, I am glad that to have some 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 white friends that are that are finally seeing right and understanding or they're brave enough now to say man you know what i knew it was bad but i i just didn't really i didn't really hit an echo it's really mm-hmm. bad and i and mm-hmm. I, i'm sorry you know i'm not looking for sympathy i'm not looking for, for I'm just looking understanding for say, i need you to tell me that i'm not fucking crazy yeah that we're yeah. not crazy yeah that's that's exactly that's exactly what 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 it is because i i've spoken to some of my friends and I said, you know, don't, don't, don't talk to me in, 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 in a way that makes me, I said, don't, I said, help me fix don't it. Chastise don't, me. don't yeah. chastise me. Don't chastise me. Don't try to tell me it. what I'm doing wrong. Just help That's me not fix what the it. fuck I need. Yes. Just help just me, tell fix, me it. fix it. Yeah. Just help me fix it. All right. Thank you for getting on the manual today. It's always Thank you for having me. It's fun. And, it's always fun. <laughs> and there was no chop. Like I said, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk to you offline about, um, creating a podcast that you and I can co-host together, right? And bring and bring people on. So if you're That'll interested in it, that, or even setting up your own cast, I I can show you how to do it with your phone. Well, I'll message you, you about that tonight. You need. I'm getting a little more serious about it because uh, now more than ever, I think I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a way to it's a way to unpack. Yeah, it's a way to unpack without without and feeling, reflect. Like said, yeah, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that I I um I had as guests that were lined up that. A few weeks ago, were were messaging the hell out of me about getting on. Now, now they can't be found because they don't want to say something. I was like, "Listen, you, you got to own what you say." But if you if you get on this platform and you don't have anything intelligent to add, then I I understand why you don't want to get on anymore. Right? Because people, you know, this is family and friends that that mm-hmm. don't want to 
They don't. Oh, I don't. I don't want to say something. I'm like, you control what you say. Mm-hmm. I, no one's coming on here to talk to talk reckless because although I have no rules, there are there are unwritten rules that I have that you're not going to come on here and do and say things that are not not supported by any kind of facts or just whatever. So you have to preface with this is my belief, is what I un- understand to be. This is what I want to mm-hmm. do, etc., etc., etc. All right. All right. So we'll talk. Love you.